if, if my companies failed tomorrow and I went back to, I say going back, if I, if I had to go work for somebody, I would take complete pride in that. I feel like a, a success already. Like I feel, um, I loved being an employee. I loved it. I love being a business owner. I love it. I, I, I to me, it's, I love a team. If, as long as you yeah. have a good team, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. If you can get paid well and you have a good team and you've got good, you know, you're, you're happy and your friends, you know, there's relationships you care about your family, you come home and you can be friendly to your children and your wife. Like that's a good life. Oil and gas makes modern life possible. The energy the world requires today and tomorrow will come from decisions made in the oil field today. Oil and gas will remain the leading source of fuel to power affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, clean, storable, and transportable power. The Oilfield 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oilfield 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly independent. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit Lockton.com for more information. Upright Digital. Upright Digital specializes in partnering with your business to maximize marketing efficiencies. We have a deep understanding of people, their needs, motivations, behaviors, as well as the technologies that enable brands in many industries to utilize what is available in a changing digital landscape. Find us online at uprightdigital.com. Street Smart Podcast. Uh, this week we're talking to Josh Lowry, uh, and I met Josh a while back at uh, his studios. He has a, a podcast, and he's warned me that he's going to try to take over and host this one in the middle of it, and uh, we're not going to let him. Uh, and we're here at uh, beautiful Woodlands Country Club, and we're outdoors, and uh, it's absolutely awesome, man. Yeah, we're getting uh, kind of lucky. We're underneath the, uh, the the patio here. We have some fans on, and there's actually a breeze. Right. We are in the middle of the hottest month and hottest week of the year on record ever. So it's hot. That's we're taking some risks here, but Yeah, but I went I wore long sleeves because <laughs> F that man. You just you go or you don't go, right? Uh but man, I really appreciate you being on here and I know you get hit up a lot for uh to be on podcasts and, and uh and part of that's because of the success that you guys have achieved at, at uh, Upright and, and Galtway and we, we certainly are gonna talk about those things. Uh but really the intent of this podcast is to to learn who the entrepreneur is, learn about Josh and what made Josh able to pull the trigger when so many people hesitate, uh, even out of the gate. So uh, it's, I have no doubt it's going to be a, a great story. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. Way. 
Yeah. You know, real quick before we get going, it's not that I, I, I have been invited on a lot of these things and I, I read a story a couple years back where, um, Kobe Bryant, <laughs> so this is, I'm going to start comparing myself to Kobe Bryant, and Michael Jordan here in a minute, but um, as per usual. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is going to, this is going to tell you where we called us athletes because we're out in the heat. Yeah, we are. Yeah, athletes. So there you go. And it feels amazing. Just, but I'll keep moving. Yeah. Um, and there was a story about how LeBron James played with Kobe and I think it was the Oh four Olympics and um, LeBron got to play with Kobe and watch how good he was and how much he trained and how he would do the practices and then practice after the practice and then go work out and get up early and LeBron was relatively early in his career mm-hmm. at that point. And he, the story goes that LeBron watched how hard Kobe worked, put in, worked at it. And they, and then ultimately LeBron ended up becoming as good as he is and, sure. you know, went to 10 straight finals or whatever it was. And I, I remember there was regret. Part of that story was, did Kobe mess up by showing LeBron how, what it takes, yeah. how hard yeah. it takes, yeah. how much you have to work to do that. And, you know, not that I've ever withheld information. I've never withheld, um, you know, leadership or insights to anybody who's ever asked me by any means. But I remember early on in the company and in my, whatever you want to call it, my journey of entrepreneurship. And by the way, calling myself as an entrepreneur took probably five years before I could actually say that word out loud. Sure. Um, But I didn't really want to tell people how hard I was actually working. Yeah. You know, part of my shtick is that I'm goofy and that I, I play all the time and that I'm kind of a jackass, if you will. Uh, but it, but really that's, that's the part that I like to show. That's the part that I do show. Uh, they don't see that I get up every single day at four thirty in the morning. Sure. Every day. Sure. Um, I, I'm up before anybody I'm, you know, there's days where, and if you know me, I go to three dinners a week. I travel two weeks a month. I go to wherever, and I'm usually the last guy out at the restaurant or the bar or whatever it is, and that could be midnight, 1 a.m., and I'm still going to be up at 4.30 in the morning the next day. Right. Um, so there's nights where I'm on two to three hours of sleep, exhausted, but I'm, I'm kind of, you know, funny and whatever, trying to be as energetic. So, like, nobody really sees that that goes on, and I just didn't want to – again, I hate to say that I didn't want to tell people. I just – it wasn't something that I felt – um, ready to share sure. early on because we were still competing with people. I don't feel like we compete with anybody anymore. Um, and then I'm, I'm a little bit older now. I've been in the business 23 years at this sure. point. So um, I want to help people. I want to show people what's going on. And, and we have had some, some success. We've also had some failures. I've had some personal and, you know, career, both pros and cons, but um, yeah, that really is why I've always said no. Uh, and then with regard to the podcast, um, you know, we had a podcast. We have multiple channels now, but mm-hmm. we had one early on. Um, can I say the name of it? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We had Oilfield 360. I'm not going to give you any royalties over it, but no, you, can say it, you can say it all you want. And we, you know, again, we started Oilfield 360 uh, podcast with David DeRote and I uh, just on accident. And, and it turned into, a, it's one of the largest out there, if yeah. not the largest single podcast in oil and gas. It's a great podcast. I it appreciate really is. it. David and uh, a guy named Jim Wicklin host that now, but I, I just didn't want to give anybody else um, kind of – I was still building that podcast. Sure. So those were the, some of the reasons of why we just – I just didn't do these things early on. And lastly, I got invited to do a lunch uh, presentation probably four years ago. Uh, and I was on a panel with 
really great professional men and women. I was probably one of four people up there and they were all trying to talk about what makes you great and how do you do what you do. And I spent 30 minutes just describing how great I am. I'm like, I'm the best at this. I'm the best at that. And I remember thinking to myself as I'm talking almost in the third person, like Josh, yeah. dude, yeah, almost now you're sitting in the audience watching going, what a dick. Seriously, <laughs> like give give the audience something they can use. Stop telling them right. how great you That's are. right, that's right. So, yeah, so I don't know. I'm not sure how, how good I'm going to be on this thing is my point. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing. And so I'll tell you like I've told someone else, as long as we're having genuine conversations, you truly can't fail at that. Yeah. Right? So, and that's really what this is about is just genuinely getting to know who you are. And, and I really do appreciate uh, you being a part of nah, this. And, and, I, and again, I know you have... Uh, your media group and all that, and you have your podcasts, and and uh, and, and so I know it's a, a. But do you know that's not my core business? I do know that. Okay. Yeah, but I, but I'm saying, I, and I know that is part of your business, and so for you to step out and and uh, be on someone else's is it it is truly an honor. So no, I, dude, I thank you so much. I appreciate your stud, and it's it's really a pleasure to be here. I appreciate that. So, in that spirit, uh, and, and since you uh, obviously can talk about yourself for at length. <laughs> It's my favorite subject. It's, it's the one you know the most about, yeah, for sure. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where were you born and raised, okay. and uh, and kind of early life, Josh? Hit me with that. Man, uh, I was born in Longview, Texas, which is East Texas. For those of you who are familiar, out by Tyler. Okay. That's a golf course. Yeah, we are outside, so they're aerating the greens this week. So we're we're playing at the, at the we're at the tournament course. Yeah, and in yeah. about ten days, this course is going to be in great shape. So it's on, yeah, it's on it's an unbelievable course if you've never been to it. Yeah, but so, yeah, it's anyway. Uh, I, I digress. There will be some noise, and that's okay. Yeah. So um, I was born in Longview. My parents got divorced when I was a pretty young kid. And the reason I even throw that in there, I'm not trying to go through one through tw- uh, forty four here, but. Um, the divorce really, I, I moved from Longview to Dallas at a young age and we got, my mom got remarried to the Jim O'Neill, who she's still married to today. And I love Jim. Um, and it was a very interesting marriage. Uh, I, I love my family. The O'Neill family is phenomenal people. Uh, the Lowry family are phenomenal people and, but they're two separate types of people. Sure. Um, one is, you know, country club very put together, entrepreneurial, um, from Ohio, just a little bit stiffer, yep. loving in a different way. Whereas the Lowry's are more kind of, uh, East Texas, East Texas you know yeah. what I mean? Just, yeah. just oh, yeah. different kind of very lovey. I love you. T- mm-hmm. You know, hugs and kisses and very Southern. Yes. And so I would, I really grew up in two separate worlds. And the reason I even bring this the story up was I realized like I had to be two separate people in as a child and i didn't understand that as a child sure i didn't know what i was doing it was just survival you're, you're surviving yeah, and you're yeah. you're a kid but yet you have to on one family you have to be super serious on the other family you're kind of looser and and i didn't realize that that was going to benefit me later in life at the time at the time i was just a confused kid who you know almost got kicked out of private school at, at 10 years old because i had behavioral problems sure and, um you know i was in a Catholic school and altar boy. My mom was just forcing that down our throat and I, I did it and I enjoyed it. And there was lots of good pros and cons that came with that, but it just was a very strict upbringing for me that I didn't understand. Right. And you know, we were, we would go to the club and I, I don't mean to throw it out there, but we'd go to the club on a Friday night. And like it was very much a, 
children are supposed to be seen and not, right. you know, yeah. and not speak. Stepford children. Seriously. You just sit there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My grandparents, like you had to properly approach them. You sit there in your khakis and keep your mouth shut. Dude, it yeah. was just like that. I swear. <laughs> and, but they were good men, but my grandfather was a great man. Sure. Yeah. No, and, it wasn't ill tempered. No, it was just, that's the way it was. Yes. And he, I love, and we actually became closer as I got older, but still like it was very formal in that sense. Sure. And then you know, you go to the Lowry family and it's like, go to the farm and go chase that cow. And, you know, like just, and I, I would love both sides of it. So, um, I, I'm bringing that story to the forefront to say like, it really shaped how I became friends with people. Sure. I was able to really, you know, I, I have a friend named, you know, my brother has a friend named Bo in in Longview that I remember feeling like, of course his name is Bo. Exactly. But like Bo didn't wear tennis shoes. Then I remember, yeah. I remember Bo wearing, just going out playing in the summer without shoes. And I thought to myself, who the hell doesn't wear shoes? You know, I'm here, I'm going to the club and you better not, you better have your shirt tucked in yeah. and your hair's combed. You're not even allowed flip-flops. Yes. And yeah. <laughs> flip-flops didn't exist in Trophy no, Club. Man. I'm from a town called Trophy Club. Yeah. Oh, I know where that is. I used to live in Keller. Yeah, okay. I'm from Trophy Club, yeah, Texas. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So you're right. You know, like, and then I would, I would go from Trophy Club to somebody not wearing shoes into Walmart. And I'm like, what the, what the hell is going on here? So but, it, but it, I was friends we had all these different unique friends and, and it just, I realized that, um, I like, I could be friends with everybody. Sure. And, um, and how to be friends with everybody, which is an absolutely critical skill. Exactly. There was, there was ultimately, if you respect people mm-hmm. and treat them nice and with respect, you're going to be friendly. And my grandma used to say, this is a phrase that I've heard my entire life. And I, I repeat it all the time. And honestly, folks, please take this with you is. If you want friends, be friendly. That makes sense. And I heard that all my life. And it's true. If you want friends, be friendly. And I grew up thinking that, and that was a, that was kind of a theme through my life. So anyway, go through uh, elementary school, move to you know high school, go to college at Texas Tech, loved it, and just really was somewhat insulated in the sense that I just I had a, I, I'm still friends with a lot of friends that I had at even five years old. Like, sure. I'm still, I've, I've developed lifelong friendships. Were you in a fraternity? Of course. Well, you went to Tech. So. I mean, of course. I was, I, I love. And which one? Uh, beta, Beta Theta Pi. No, of and, course. And I mean, I love <laughs> the fraternity mindset. Everybody bitches about that, but I freaking loved it. And I always tell people that I learned more as a fraternity pledge than yeah. I did in all my business classes. Be on time, be respectful. Yes, sir. You know, stand up when the lady enters the room. Um, yeah, it, people see, you know, they think Animal House all the time. Yeah. And it's not all the time. No. It's it, sometimes. Yeah. Saturday nights. It's sometimes. Yeah. But it's or not. When, yeah. It's sometimes midweek. Uh, but it's not all the time. <laughs> no. And we had our, you know, we, our fraternity had the highest GPA on campus uh, for the fraternity. So like you had to keep your grades up. That's an interesting up. flex. You're, that's an interesting flex. I didn't participate in keeping it up there. But as at, on average, we had the highest GPA. So we were, you know, the goal was to keep your grades up, have fun, sure. be, you know, gentleman and scholar type stuff. But at the same time, yeah, and, and fraternities have philanthropies that they do oh, yeah. and everything else. I mean, they, they really do some good things. And, and then sometimes it's, uh, it's what you think it is, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's animal house. But, but again, I, I will not run from the fact that I, and I want to touch, I mean, we can touch on this later, but I believe that life is to be lived. Mm. I, I live, a, I live my life to live my life. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. So, um, Anywho, so went to tech. Went to tech. Uh, graduate. Move out to California. What did you graduate with? What what degree? Oh, I have. <laughs> I have never admitted this publicly. This is so embarrassing. Well, this is going to go to uh, literally tens of people. Yes, so. it. Uh, believe me, I have. Wow, it 
I'm, I'm incredibly popular. This is going to go, you're going to get to at least 100 people on this one. I, I knew having you on was going to blow it up. Yeah, this is, you're going to become at least How many do you have to locally. have before it's viral? I don't maybe a million. We'll go 100. Okay. I'll call it viral at 100. Yeah. So I graduated with a general studies degree. And the reason I graduated with a general studies degree, which is basically three minors, yeah. <laughs> is because I, had, I, was, I was majoring in telecommunications with mm-hmm. a minor in marketing. And I failed my last telecom class. I got a 68.5. The guy would not round it to a 70, would not give me an inch. It was my last class. I didn't miss the class once the entire semester. He would not give me that point, 1.5. I was furious. and Oh, as you should have been. <laughs> I was furious. Yeah. I was oh, like, yeah. this is my final semester. Sure. Give me the fucking 70. Yeah, so what's can, the deal, man? Well, I mean, I'm not going to be. And it was like some ridiculous. Anyway. So. They didn't teach it to the next semester, so I had to go to my counselor. It's like, look, I'm not staying an extra semester. I want out now. So they shifted my credits around, and I got out with a general studies from Texas Tech, which I'm actually proud of. That you know, my goal is to be one of the most successful uh, stupid people of all time. So that's that, uh, so you're on track. I'm probably. on track. Yeah, yeah we're tracking. absolutely. But anyway, so then I go to California and um, what part? Uh, Los Angeles. Moved nice. out to LA. I had a I was 22 when I graduated, and I actually pushed that a year. I was a little bit young for my grade, so I uh, was a fifth year at 22, and graduate. I mean, literally moved out there right after I graduated. I was the only guy that had a degree and a job, an actual eight to five job, and I I lived with a girlfriend of mine, just a friend. She was great. She was, you know, she was she grew up in Hollywood, so she was friends with like. Uh, Scott Kahn and you know a couple of these like actual. Yeah. legit movie yeah. guys yeah. Ocean's yep. Eleven and Hawaii right. Five-0 and all this so I'll never forget I, I drove all through the night to get there I get into California to a girl that I've only met once uh, our, her, the guy that I worked with his wife was a teacher my roommate was a teacher um, I'd met her one time she was 26 all of her friends were just stunningly beautiful she was stunningly beautiful <laughs> was it LA girls uh, truly yeah. they all grew up yeah. in Hollywood yep. and none of them had jobs <laughs> They all, none of them had jobs, and all of them drove Mercedes. Well, they're professional hot chicks, man. They were just they were just great. I'm still friends with them. Sure, they're now they're you know all married to kids, but like at the time they were just living this incredible LA life. And um, one of them was a flight attendant for United. Uh, anywho, so I move out there and I get and you know this is back when you had before Instagram or whatever. So I they were I was slipping through the picture, you know the photo album or whatever, and there was every movie star you could think of, and I had been in California. Four hours, literally. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my stuff's still in my car, and I'm flipping through the book, and I'm like, oh, you guys see movie stars all the time? And her friend looks at me, and, and he's like, well, I mean, yeah. And I go, see, so what do you just stop and take a, He's like, He's like, what do you mean do we see them? He's like, we hang out with them. Yeah, these like, are our buddies. He's like, these are our friends. Right. And I go, you, you mean you hang out with movie stars? He's like, yeah. He goes, are you coming to the party tonight? I sure am. And I go, yeah. I was like, what party? What party? Yeah. Again, four hours. I've been in California. I didn't, I took the job, or excuse me, I took the apartment before I even took the job. Like, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I was moving there no matter what. So, we, she says, my two friends will take you shopping. So, I go shopping. I buy some ridiculous outfit that they tell me looks cool, which I've just moved from Lubbock, Texas. And originally from Longview. From Longview so to I can only imagine to... Love it. Your head, head to toe. I've been out Louis. of California. I've been out of college for a, a week and a half. Right. 
um, you know, and here I am in now California for 10 hours. And, and now I, you're in a, an all Fendi jumpsuit. Dude, I something. thought I looked yeah. absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I remember the shoes were black with no shoelaces. That's awesome. They're like, you look amazing. I'm like, do I really? Okay. Okay. <laughs> and it was also expensive. I didn't have any money. But anyway, yeah, well. so we go to this party and this party that they're talking about was the grand opening or the red carpet opening of Charlie's Angels. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we go to the Charlie's Angels um, red carpet opening. And I mean, I am like, what in the hell is going on? There's Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu, Rod Stewart, you know, Kevin Costner and you know, Bill, I, Bill Murray was in the movie, I think. too. I mean, everybody, everybody, I remember. Yeah. So you're seeing all this and I'm just, I'm drinking like a Coors Light. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm walking around like what the hell's going on. And I bump into somebody and it's Kevin Costner. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. He's like, yeah, no problem. You having fun? I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm having a great time. Yeah. So. Then we uh, keep going, and, and you've ever seen that the Dave Chappelle show where he talks about where they do uh, the Rick James. He goes, he had an aura around him. <laughs> yeah, it was orange. Yeah, it was orange, yeah. right? So <laughs> I I can say that that is true for one person that I – and I, I met George Clooney. We hung out with – I mean, this wasn't just one night. Like, the entire time I lived there, we literally hung out with number so many people that I can't remember how many. And yeah. it was a yeah. year and a half of just – the George Clooney's, the, uh, you know, A-listers, A-listers, you know? literally yeah. in, in all hours of the night. Um, but it, the only time I ever saw an aura was Oscar de la Hoya. <laughs> Oscar de la Hoya had an aura and I looked at him and I was blown away and he had two girls, he had a girl on each side of him and he just looked at me. We made eye contact and I just see this kind of thing around him and I go and I'm staring at him and I'm like, what the hell? And he just stares at me and he kind of just points. And I go, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> and I walked away. I'm like, where am I? Like, what, what's happening? What am I doing? Yeah. Like, I was in college. I was at a fraternity party seven days ago. Yeah, and now this. Yes. So then that was like, that was my first weekend in Los Angeles. And then on Monday, I had to go to work. What was your job? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to, this, if this doesn't describe to you, again, to the polar extremes of my life that yeah. really I've had to control because it can get to this extreme. Um, I had a job, a very serious job, <laughs> a very serious job of we were make we're manufacturing. I'm in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. That remember I mentioned the early part of this podcast. Um, I'm in manufacturing. I always have been. And we were making uh, parts for semiconductor. The semiconductor business was enormous back then. Sure. It's still, it, it is, but not to the extent that it was 20 years ago. Um, so we were, I was living in thousand, or I was living in LA, but we were, a lot of our manufacturing was up in thousand Oaks in Ventura, California. So we were selling to, um, manufacturers of semiconductors, silicone discs and semi, you know, just that entire world. They had to right. have really pure tubing that we sold. So we sold tens and tens and twenties million dollars worth of tubing. And I remember, uh, my first, you know, couple of months going to these meetings where my Friday nights would consist of going to a party with you know, Leanne rhymes. Yeah. And then my Monday mornings would be negotiating a, a $20 million package on stainless steel tubing. And I remember just thinking like, what I can't, nobody would, nobody could understand how different this was from my friends. Right. right. My friends were, you know, working at Enterprise Car, nothing wrong with Enterprise Car. Sure. But they were working the counter at Enterprise Car. They were working at, you know, internships at Goldman. They were trying to become they commercial They may have had estates. amazing jobs, but they weren't hanging out with movie stars on the back end. Well, and they also weren't negotiating $20 million right, right. deals. 
And, and I was doing that within three months of graduating college. Which is really, really atypical. And probably, I would say, and you'd probably agree with this, is something that, man, you, you probably at the time didn't feel prepared for, but at the I, same time you were doing it. No, no, no. It, it actually set me into, again, now this begins the, um, we were talking off camera about pride. Yeah. Right. And I, I struggle with pride. I, I, the reason that I, I tell people this, and I, I'll go back to this, um, I'd like you to hang on to that point. Mm-hmm. The reason that I'm, I'm, I somewhat play a character of arrogance is because I've been humbled. I've been really humbled. I've been humbled to the point where, yeah, there's, you know, there's always a, maybe another bottom. Mm-hmm. There's always another lower point you can get to. Uh, but I really didn't want to find that lower bottom. It was as low as I want. This one's good enough. And it were, and it was deep and it was deep and it was hard and it was cold and it was lonely and it was depressed and it was, you know, it was a place I'd never been and it was just, it was uncomfortable and I'd never been there. And I was, uh, you know, never clinically diagnosed as depressed, but I was certainly depressed. Sure. And I was 23, four years old, alone, depressed and did not know what was going on. And did not know how to pull myself out of it. And didn't know that a, I just didn't know what was going on. You just didn't know. I didn't know. And I was alone. Mm. I was living in California alone. And I was going to parties on Fridays and Saturdays with movie stars. And I was negotiating $20 million deals on, you know, part of the team or whatever on Tuesdays. And then at the same time, I've never felt more alone. Mm-hmm. I'd never felt more lonely. There's a difference. I'd never... Uh, you know, I couldn't call anybody. Nobody was calling me <laughs> like it was. Uh, and I just remember, you know, thinking, man, what's happening? Yeah. And I, and then I hurt myself playing basketball. I used to go play basketball or I'd do, or do something and something physical to kind of work myself out of those moments. And I hurt my back and then I couldn't move. So now I was stationary. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had to sit there and now I, I'm stuck and alone. Yes. Yeah. And it really was. A, a time where, um, you know, and then I was, and then I wasn't very good at negotiating $20 million deals as a 23 year old kid. turns out. Yeah. Because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Right. And I wasn't, I wasn't studying hard enough at my job to be good at it. I was just assuming that my talent was going to carry. Hey, if they're letting me do this, they must think I can. Well, you know, there's a book called talent is never enough. Yeah. And I've read it. And I, I read it after the fact, and I wish I would have read I always recommend it to young people that I feel have talent because, you know, I relied on talent. I relied on the ability to use my personality or whatever it is to carry whatever that situation was. And all of a sudden, every tool that I had wasn't working. And I was like, I'm in trouble. Yeah. I don't know how to get out of this and I'm in trouble and I'm failing and I've never failed. And what does failure feel like? Oh, it feels like the worst thing in the world. Yeah, oh, this is, this is that. This is failure. Yeah. This is what failure feels like. So now I'm a failure and I'm 24 years old and I'm alone and, oh man, this is what failure feels like. Did you think at that time, like I'm a failure and that's what I'll always be? Or did you think, man, I've just got to figure out how not to be a failure? You know, uh, No. You, I couldn't see past my hand sure. at that point. You are a failure when you're a failure. <laughs> and you are, when you are failing, you, there's nothing past failure. Yeah, it's just this. You are, I, I've heard this, there's, and look, I'm, I, it's been a minute, but I remember there was, there's some pretty good descriptions of depression. And there's one of them is like, 
you know, you're just you're just in this deep hole that doesn't matter what you can do. You can't think your way out of it. Ultimately, I got out of it by prayer. And, yeah. and I remember praying and I said, you know, God, if you're real, now would be a really good time yeah. to show me that you're real. This would be cool to see right now. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, that's what happened. That's um, awesome. I started praying and I bought, I had a, I started reading a book and I, cause I couldn't physically move. So I bought a book and I started reading and I was trying to get out anything to get out of my head. And do you remember what the book was? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'd never, <laughs> I'd never read a book in college <laughs> that I, that I wasn't required to read. I'd never read a book in my entire life that I wasn't required to read. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought a book about a guy who was a, like a 95 or 100 year old guy who he had never, he never knew how to read. So he, he, and he taught himself how to read at like 95 years old. And it was a story about how he just basically learned how to read and, and then what kind of self-discovery he had in his mid nineties. And then he died, but it, but it was a, but he learned something right before he died. And I just remember it was a, it, the page, maybe 150 pages, 200 pages, whatever right, it was. Right. And I, was, I told myself, I'm going to finish this book. I don't care if I don't like it. I don't care what it, I'm going to finish this book. And I finished it. And then I was like, I'm going to buy another book and I'm going to finish this book. And then I started bringing reading into my like daily life, mm -hmm. which I still do today. Um, and I became a reader. And I, I credit the reading of just fiction, non I didn't really ever read a ton of nonfiction or, uh, fiction, excuse me. I, I read maybe every once in a while I would mix in a fiction, but primarily it was nonfiction. Um, and yeah, so I started reading, um, praying, uh, and then, it, and I don't, I don't want to yeah. lose your train of thought, but if you think about what you're doing there, you're taking what seems to be a somewhat small thing and you're successful at it. Exactly. So you're not a failure anymore. So you're building on, on that just by simply achieving finishing this book, right? So to, to, to talk about that, I go back to when I was in high school. Um, I was a, I'm a good athlete. <laughs> I'm a good athlete and I've always been a good athlete. I'm coordinated. I, I like to compete. Um, you know, I'm not, I've never been the best on any team, but I've also right. never been the worst and I can, I, I can compete with anybody, right? right? The way I always describe my athletic career is I was never going to be an all-star, but I'm going to make the team. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be on the team. <laughs> and even if you put me up against the best guy on the other team, I'll make him work for it, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and that's the way. I, even in basketball, I was a short. I'm not that tall, I, but I I would go down and bang. I mean, just I loved it. Um, that's why I hate golf. Even though I'm wearing a golf course, it's beautiful. Is like tennis. You can run harder at tennis. Mm -hmm. You can you can give a little extra effort to tennis. You can be better at tennis. Golf, you have to literally calm down. And it's the one sport. And there's every single thing against you calming down in golf. Exactly. When you're pissed, you have to calm yourself down. And in tennis, you're like, I'm going to run faster. I'm going to go to get that ball. I'm hitting this as hard as I can. Yes. Yeah. And you cannot do that in golf. If you do that, you're going to, you're going to. It's just going to get worse. Yes. You're yeah. just doubling down on crap. Yeah. So, uh, I, I was a good soccer player in high school, but I was also, you know, very popular in high school. And I, I, I prioritized, you know, partying and girls and being popular over athletics. And that was fine. I mean, that's what I chose to do. But I remember thinking, you know, I could have been a pretty good soccer player. Yeah. I was good enough to where I could have been a, a good soccer player. And, but I didn't try. Yeah. And I thought to myself, when have you ever tried? When have you ever tried your hardest at something, mm -hmm. Josh? And the answer was, you've never tried hard. I was 24 years old at this time. And everything just kind of had come your way. Everything yeah. had just 
naturally come to me. Uh, and if I didn't, I could work it to come to me. And, and if I didn't get it, I could justify why I didn't want it anyway. Yeah. And I asked myself, like, when have you ever really tried? And like I said, the answer was, I have never tried. Wow. Yeah. What a, uh, what an incredible thing to reveal to yourself. And, and in that moment was, was that disappointing to you to figure out? Yes. Yes, it was. It was incredibly disappointing to know that you, you really, I, I like, I don't care about soccer. Like I never, I don't know if I could have been a college athlete. Sure. Right. I mean, in my head, I'm like, yeah, you could have been, but who knows? You know, there's a, a thousand things that you can or can't, but I know that I never gave myself a chance. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that when I got out of college and I started to read and I realized that I wasn't stupid, I just never paid attention that, man, I probably could have graduated better than like a 2.8 sure. GPA and, and maybe given, uh, you know, college a little bit better, you know, try and, I could have made a 70 in that class. Or, or yeah, exactly. 68.5. <laughs> Are you kidding me? There's absolutely, if you go back, you say, there's, there's a couple things I could have done different. I don't regret any of those decisions. Um, yeah. but you're, you know, I do have the, um, yes, I, I don't have a ton of regret on that. There's other things in life. I kind of regret maybe a little bit differently, but not, not the, uh, I, I definitely, honestly, more than anything, it was just an awakening that I've never tried. Sure. So I said, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to do a good job at my job. So I did. I started, uh, I started studying, and I stopped going out uh, on you know, the nights that I was going out up mm-hmm. in, in California. And then September 11th happened, uh, and I really was missing Texas, and um, I decided to move back to Texas. So I moved back to Texas late 01, early 2002, uh, and I... I, I'm from Dallas area, Trophy Club, and all of my tech buddies, all of my high school buddies, everybody was in Dallas. Everybody. I knew nobody in Houston. Yeah. And and I mean, I knew nobody in Houston. And I said, I'm moving to Houston. And did you do that as a defense mechanism? Because you knew if you were around your friends, you would just I, naturally slip back into old behavior? I just knew that it was time to grow up. Gotcha. I knew that it was, I felt like it was my turn because the California experience was so powerful for me that it did shift me in the sense that um, I I knew there was going to be more for me if I tried. I, like I told you, I, I never tried. Yep. And all of a sudden I realized that if I tried, there, there might be something else out there for me. And I wanted to try is honestly what it was. And I felt like if I moved back to Dallas, I knew I already knew what that road looked like. You know, it's the, right. the matrix. You take this pill, you know where that road leads you. You take this pill. Let's figure it out. And that's kind of the beginning of where we are today. And I mean, I'll kind of, I don't know if I'm taking too long on this whole thing. But it, there's no time limit. Okay. Um, but ultimately, I moved to Houston and moved down to the Heights. Again, didn't know anybody. I'll never forget renting my first apartment. And they said, uh, your apartment's going to be an extra $25 a month for the, uh, the Bayou view. And I'm like, what's a Bayou? <laughs> and you were from East Texas, didn't know what a Bayou was? I'm not really from East Texas. That's I, true. That's true. Yeah. That's fair. You know, so I, no, I didn't know what a bayou was. And, um, they, they pointed to the, 
now I understand what a bayou is. They pointed to it, and I go, that's a drainage ditch. That's correct. <laughs> I go, I said, you're trying to charge me extra for a drainage ditch? I said, I'm not paying for that. It's a waterfront, Josh. Yeah, that's what they told me. They said, well, it's a, it's a bayou. And I said, no, I'm not paying for it. And I, they took it off. Oh, that's awesome. Because I was like, I, I'm not from here. That's a fucking drainage ditch. Not yeah. paying for that. That's clearly a drainage yeah. ditch. So then I uh, I moved in to this apartment, and I was 20, 24, 25, somewhere in that range. And um, I started i was i'd gotten chubby because remember i was injured so i was like i'm gonna start running so i started running just to just to lose some weight and i uh got to i would go run on the bayou slash strange ditch yeah hang on we got a car hang on one second yeah tell you what this course is gonna look great at least they have loud equipment it makes me feel like they're actually achieving something because it's loud this course is gonna look Oh, it's Fantastic. Be yeah, the course always does. Yeah. So we, uh, so I started running the bayou slash drainage ditch, and I, w- I could only run uh, two minutes. Of th- I've never been a runner in my yeah, entire life. I hate running. So I run t- two minutes and then three minutes and five minutes and ten, whatever it was. And all of a sudden I was like, you know, I'm losing weight. And I kind of, I can run five minutes and then I can run ten. I go, I'm going to run a 5K. And then I ran a 5K and then I ran a 10K or whatever it was. And then I was like, I'm going to run a triathlon and I I went out and I I didn't I didn't practice swimming at all and I just go sign up for this triathlon in Sugarland. but I had been running and I didn't even have a bike I borrowed a buddy's bike and uh, oh, he's, he's running laps that's gonna be great let's see what he's doing here let's see what this guy's doing doesn't this guy know that I'm in the middle of the greatest story ever told hey Josh Lowry is here I don't know if you know that Nah, we're good. Yeah, he did. I don't think he so can hear me. I end up swimming. <laughs> I went to swim in this this sprint triathlon yeah. with no practice on the swim. I almost drowned. Of course. Literally. They, oh, of course. They have a canoe or whatever. This guy just follows me because I'm floating on my back. <laughs> he spotted you immediately. He was like, this guy. Oh, this guy's going to die. Dr- he's going to die if I don't follow him. Because I, I went out there like I was trying to <laughs> sprint. So I'm swimming and I swim 50 feet full speed. And then I run out of oxygen. And then I have to, like, I've got to finish this damn race. So I float on my fat ass back the rest of the way, and I somehow <laughs> takes me 30 minutes to get through this sprint swim. I'm the last swimmer to come through. By how much? Oh, 26 minutes. <laughs> I mean, like, not, not a minute, dude. Like, by a ton. Oh, man. And I, I, I mean, I, I get out of the water. My chest is swollen because I've just died. I, you know, whatever. So then I get on the bike, and I... I'm, I'm like, and I kill the bike, no practice on the bike, kill the bike, get on the run, do well on the run. And if you look at my times, like 45 minutes to swim, pretty fast bike, pretty good run. And everyone's like, look, if you could just get your swimming down, you'd be a pretty good little triathlete. Yeah. So I end up spending the next five years, seven years, whatever it is, doing marathons and swimming and doing uh, triathlon, triathlons. And I do a, uh, I get all the way up to half Ironmans. And I was, you know, pretty good, you know, for an average athlete. Um, th- but I'm, the reason I'm bringing those up is those became a big part of discipline for sure. me. Like I was doing, like I was still traveling for business. Um, I, I kind of had moved into a different business at that point. I was doing manufacturing, kind of what I'm doing now. Um, but I would take my bike and my swim stuff with me to every city I went to if I could. Uh, and I would swim and run and bike. 
in the mornings, then I would go make calls and then I would come home that night and I would swim and bike and do a double, you know, a, a brick, they call them. And I did that and just all the time. And it really kept me disciplined. I was doing young life. I was a volunteer for young life at the time. Um, so I, I kind of committed to the high school kids. I, I picked them up as freshmen and I said, I'll stay with these guys through their senior year, which I did. So it was four years. So that four year period, which is really my 25 through 29, 30 period there, I was very committed to the young life kids and I was very committed to just being in shape and my job and, and just being focused, being mm -hmm. very focused on doing things right, doing things good for my body, doing things good for the community, learning Houston, sure. um, trying to be, trying to like Houston, meet friends. I ended up absolutely, absolutely loving Houston. Uh, I still love Houston, but I, I just, I love it. And I found a great church and a great group and a great, you know, all these great things because I said, I'm going to go figure this out. So then I, I had this huge group of friends in Dallas and I say huge. I mean, look, I'm not going to pretend I've, I've, I've got, as I mentioned the, the whole part, like I've always been making friends has always been easy for sure. me. And, uh, I have lots of friends in different cities and really all over the world. And I love that. I count that as a blessing. And so I would have this big group of friends in Dallas and this big group of friends in Houston. And, uh, it just was an awesome twenties, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting about that, what you're describing is, uh, is so important, you know, just understanding what discipline can do for you is so important. Uh, and, and understanding, and in your twenties, you may have not been thinking consciously about like, I'm building discipline for later in life. No, You're actually just, I did. Did you really? Yeah, I had a, uh, I had a friend of mine. Um, I went to lunch with his dad. I really looked up to his dad. His dad played uh, football for the Eagles and I got to go to lunch with him and he gave me a lot of good advice. And one of the things he told me was, um, sacrifice your 20s for the rest of your life. Uh, and I heard that early in my 20s. Uh, that period of five year, or that period of a uh, couple days there where, I say, remember I told you I graduated and seven days later I was in California? Mm -hmm. Well, in that seven days, I actually had lunch with um, this guy. And one of the things he said was, sacrifice your 20s for the rest of your, of your life. And he goes, you'll be a decade ahead of your friends at 30 than if you didn't. And he's like, don't go out on Wednesdays. Don't go out on Thursdays. And he's like, no one will even notice you're not there. And he's like, um, just grind it out, do this, do that. So, no, I was actually very diligent in that uh, approach through my 20s that, uh, you know, I, I dated some really nice girls in my 20s. Uh, there were great people that would have loved to have gotten married. And I just didn't want to get married. I wanted to be single through my 20s to um, be able to focus on my career. Mm -hmm. um, and I, because he also said, don't get married to your 30. He's like, don't even start dating until your 30s, what he told me. Well. I, but, but I really didn't. I'm not going to go into that whole story, but I really didn't date in my 30s. I kind of had a two-date maximum for, for girls because I didn't want to get committed. I didn't want to lead them on. Um, and, it, again, back to my weaknesses, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to be a gigolo either. Right? I wanted to be a right. good guy. Right. And I, I felt like two dates was great. And it was, you know, I... I, I was busy doing a lot of stuff. So, yeah, no, it, it was very conscious to be focused through my 20s and be, like, looking towards, like, I'm going to go this direction. So I worked for uh, my family business for six years. I left them. I was the number one sales guy in the company. Well, that's when you came back to, now you're in yeah, Houston, I, you're working for your family business. Yeah. So my family has a 
60-year, almost 70-year-old business now. It's still in existence. It's a great company. My brother is the president now. My older brother is the president. My dad kind of recently retired. Uh, but my grandfather started it. Uh, my dad's a total stud. And I say my dad. I'm talking about my stepdad. Sure. Um, total stud. My grandfather was a total stud. Um, and they, I worked for them, and I anticipated that I would be the next total stud mm-hmm. to come run that company. I, in, in fact, when I was 10, I told them I'm going to come run that company when I'm graduate, when I graduate college. And I got out of college. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to come run the company. Right. right. I told him that. I was straight up. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, go, yeah. you know, go get some experience. So by the time I was 28 years old, like I was the number one guy in the company sales wise. Um, I was, I had a kind of a business plan that I showed him. I was like, I want to do this with the company. My cousin and I had showed it to him like, this is what we want to do. And we showed like, this is what we're going to do. And he said, now he's like, you're talking, I'll never forget him saying this. He goes, you're talking to me like you're a, uh, like this is a democracy. He said, this is a, he said, this is a dictatorship. Correct. And he says, I'm the dictator. And he goes, one day you'll be the dictator, but not today. And I was so frustrated with that, that I'm like, I'm never going to be able to grow here if I don't leave. Uh, I'm never going to be able to grow. This is actually the biggest turning point in my career right here was from, I won a magazine contest at 10 years old. You know, that school contest where they sell cookies or magazines or whatever. Well, I won the entire contest at 10 and I sold more than anybody. And and every single person found out, they're like, you're going to work for your dad one day. You're going to be the next gym. Mm Mm-hmm. And so from 10 years old to 24 years old, I was zoned in on being the next gym. Everything I did was pointed, was pointing me to that. Everything I did. California was about that. Uh, I worked for a sister company out there trying to get prepared for this. So then when I came in and I was kind of preparing to do that, and then when it became clear that, no, you're not going to do this because you're not the oldest and my dad didn't really have intentions of retiring 20 years ago, 15 sure. years ago. Uh, I was so devastated. I was so devastated that like, this is not what I had in my head. Like I want to, I want to be the man today. Mm-hmm. And so I left bitter. I, I was so pissed that it didn't happen the way that I had planned on it. I was mad at my dad. He was mad at me. He wanted me to just wait. I'm like, I'm not waiting. I'm not going to wait. I'm, it's my time is now and I want to be, I'm ready now. And you're how old? 28. 28. And, but my business plan, I was like, this is perfect. This is what this this will work. This will work. We should move into this direction now because if you don't make a move, you're going to get left behind. And I I want to do this now. And it just wasn't going to happen. And, um, and there were just too many forces at work. So I left, I didn't have any kids. I wasn't married. Uh, and I left and I, I went to another company and within six months, I was the number one sales guy at that company nationwide. And I was the youngest person in that entire company. So my sales from my family business were still coming in. So I, I ended up in whatever year this was, 2006, 7, 8, some, probably 7. I was the number one person in my family's business still on the books. And I was the number one person in the new company at the end of that same year. So I called my dad. I'm like, hey, I'm like I'm the number one guy in two companies. Right. I mean, I can't believe you screwed up this bad. And uh, I just was mad. I just was going to shove it down his throat how big of a mistake he had made. And because I felt like he'd made a huge mistake. So that became really a, a very tough point of contention for me 
It's a leaf blower. Yeah, I know. Where is he? He's right over there in a sand trap. He's doing a good job. Yeah. So he's doing so, a good job. So I was just. I, this is where this is kind of a w- interesting period in my life because I was so furious that I let right. fury drive me for a decade. Now this is an important point because I'm different today than I was six years ago. I've I've let a lot of anger go. I was fucking furious. I, sure. I just can't stress that you enough. You felt betrayed. I felt every negative emotion you could possibly feel. Yeah. I felt like I had done everything a son was supposed I had been loyal. I had tr- I had trained properly. I had been I had done everything you were supposed to do. And when it became time for me to, to kind of take the reins, they weren't being passed. Mm. And I was furious. So anywho, I did that angrily uh, left. And then all of a sudden I you know, I did that for 18 months. I wasn't very happy because I took the job just to get out. I right. Took, and right. I, but I, you know, I made money, enjoyed it, learned, blah, blah, blah. I ended up getting another job offer um, at a company called Sunbelt Steel, which is no longer around. I, and I, and people might recognize that name. I loved Sunbelt Steel. It saved, it saved me uh, emotionally because I had a complete, and I, I learned more that, that I was there, I don't know, six years, I guess. Uh, I had a boss who was, to completely the opposite of my dad. I had a female boss. I'd never had a female. I never worked with a female before. Um, and not only had I never really worked with a female before, I had never had a female boss for sure. And so I had a female boss that I re- direct reported to. She owned part of the company, Kathy Rutledge. And then I had a CEO who was an accountant who was very calm and never let the fray get into his daily decision making. Mm. And I'd never seen that before. Um, I'd always kind of seen a dictator and for the first time I, and there was a guy named Jerry, Jerry, Mike and Kathy were the three primary owners of this company. They ran it as a three legged stool and they, all of a sudden it be, became clear to me that a, if I ever own a company, I don't ever want to be a dictator. I want a three legged stool approach because that allows everybody to do what they do well. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll take your specialty, my specialty, and you know this person's specialty, and we'll just combine them. So I became very much team oriented after that, which I'd never been before. I'd always been like, when you're the man, you're the man. Yeah, you'd also never seen that. I never seen that model. No. And also working for Kathy, a woman, I remember thinking like, why are they putting a woman in charge of me? Like I, I, you know, I know that sounds crazy in 2022, but go back to 2008. And again, I don't care how that sounds today. Like it just, it wasn't a thing. Um, especially in the world that I was coming from, which is manufacturing, there just weren't that many women. And Kathy was one of, you know, I mean, I bet Kathy was one of, out of 10 women, right? I mean, sure. Yeah. She was an anomaly. Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. She was, she there just weren't that many of her out there. Um, and she was great and she was committed. And what I learned from Kathy is how I lead today. Kathy, something would go wrong and, and I'd be like, let's just kill this person. Yeah. Right, let's do this. Scorched earth. Yes. And she'd be like, well, Josh, have you thought about it from that person's perspective? I'm like, what? What does that matter? What do you care? Why do <laughs> I care what that person's perspective right. is? And she's like, well, I mean, let's go through. And, and, and then she would force me to think about things like that. And then, and then and that happened all the time. And I just would be so, I'm like, God, what are we doing? And then once you kind of realize that, like, that's in my, again, that's my opinion today. And I believe that's the way to lead today is to be calm, to think about people, to put people first. Kathy was the ultimate putting people first. She was not a, she was not a sissy. You know, I, there's another word I want to use. I won't do it on your podcast, but she wasn't. 
she wasn't that. I mean, she was she was tough as nails. Sure. Yeah. But she would handle business if she, it had to. Be. Absolutely. She was yeah. amazing. She is yeah. amazing. I still love her to this moment. Um, but she would also think about people in the moment, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and I had never seen that. And I just uh, I learned a ton from her. And I, we ended up becoming we didn't like each other at the beginning. Uh, we ended up becoming great friends, great colleagues. Uh, I ended up owning a portion of that company. Uh, when we sold it in 2012, um, and I took the my portion of that ownership, and this is really where my you know moment as an entrepreneur really began. Um, I took that old business model that my dad had, had rejected, and I said, "I'm going to do this." And I had some money from the Sunbelt sale, and I started Galway Industries. Yeah, and we. I mean, verbatim, the business model. And so what, was it something that, um, and so that's interesting to me. And the reason it is, is because uh, you, you can sit down, a lot of people will sit down and they can really in their mind draft out a, a business model that seems viable or, you know, all of those things. And then it comes right up to the point of execution and they're like, oh man. And they, and they kind of vapor lock. What got you over that? So, um, I, at this point I was married, I got married in 09. Uh, this we're, now we're talking about late 12, early 13. Mm -hmm. And, um, you're, you're looking at the result of a series of really good decisions. Okay. I, I had learned how to commit. I always tell people, if you can run a marathon, you can do anything. Because you can't yeah, fake, that. you cannot fake a marathon. You cannot fake running 26.2 miles. No. Okay. You can't fake the training. You can't fake getting up early. You can't, whatever. It, it can't be done. Jiu-jitsu is the same way. You yeah. Can't, that's right. You're you can't ad. walk into a, you get a your mat. Ass beat. You can go buy whatever color belt you want yeah. and you're going to find out what you are immediately. Exactly. Okay. So that's the good point. Right. On this. So the training that I had learned through marathoning and, and running and riding and whatever really showed me that. There's a commitment that I have in me that I can do. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm ADD, ADHD. At this point, I had never been diagnosed. I had never had a, a drop of medicine. I had nothing. This was, I was, I had never drank coffee. Hmm. I had never had espresso. I, I was living on Mountain Dew and you know Red Bull at that time, right? I mean, so you're still getting your caffeine. I was, yeah, I was getting <laughs> yeah. caffeine. I just yeah. wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't. Um, like I had to legitimately tell my brain what it was going to do. Right. There was no, like, I'm not naturally a get up and go do this guy. That, that is not my nature. I am a naturally pretty lazy dude. Truly, I really am. I, I want to make sure the audience doesn't think that, because uh, I know people that are naturally driven. Mm -hmm. I, that is not me. I, I tell myself what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And now I have, you know, I'm 44. I have more mental control than I did at 24 40, and 34, certainly. But, I mean, at this point, I was 34 years old. I was 34. I had uh, an 18 month old and a three week old oh, when we man. when we started this business, and you know to answer, you know ask yourself what pushes you over the edge. We had my wife and I had looked into Dave Ramsey. I never had a lot of debt. Um, you know my my mom and dad were pretty strict about you know don't get into debt, don't be stupid. And my wife was not as she did not get the same lessons <laughs> so we had to pay off her college debt her car and her credit cards and all this but we did we did the dave ramsey thing and 
So I had really was debt free at 34, um, and then we were able to get a payment from the sale. So I had I kind of had some financial freedom there. Sure. Um, that I was either going to be able to go buy a bunch of purses and travel the world for a couple of years or start a business. And that's exactly what I told my wife. I said, we can buy a bunch of purses and travel the world or we can start a business. And she said, let's start a business. Well, wow. and I said, okay. I said, we could lose all this. She's like, I get it. Let's just try it. And we, had a, a, I want to remind the audience, we had a three week old, a yeah. three week old. So, uh, we did. And we started it, and then I, I slowly went together. to uh, I started putting together the team I was talking about, a three-legged stool. And, you know, I used every ounce of skill and persuasion and whatever to bring people to this one team that I needed them on. And we, we I got, I mean, I got 55-year-old, 60-year-old men to come join the team. I got... Uh, the, the number one sales guy in the country for Fluidens to come join the team. Uh, my business partner at the time, Trey Smith, who I absolutely love to this moment, um, you know, he wasn't moving an inch. I got him to come do it. Uh, I was relentless in what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. I, I, this was where I was going to go, and I was taking people with me left and right, and this is what we did. So anyway, we put together uh, our team. We had some capital funding, and we started Galway. And uh, it was in, in Galway became profitable month one. That's awesome. And to say what Galway does. Yeah. So Galway Industries is uh, 10 years old next year, actually. Later. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, really, we were starting it working. 2023. Yeah. Officially 23 yeah. because I couldn't. I had a uh, non-compete until January of that year. Um, but I was building it all through 2012. So, it's in my head, I'm already 10 years old, but at that time it was 23. So excuse me. we, um, we are a, um, channel partner is one way to say it. A manufacturer's rep. We basically, not basically, we, we represent manufacturers of raw material products, whether they be forgings, uh, castings, machining. And we are now the largest provider of fluid ends, uh, in the, in North America, really probably in the world, but in North America, certainly, uh, fluid ends. Uh, so we provide fluid ends to all of the OEMs. Mm -hmm. um, it, the, the life of a fluid end is, has been improved because of what we've done. And, you know, I ended up competing against my parents and my family business. Um, not on purpose, by any means. I didn't intend to do it, but it happened. And we smoked them. We were, we were bigger than they were. We were doing more revenue than they were. We were, had more influence than they did. We had, I mean, we just, we, and again, that goes back to, you know, by before I was 40, fairly three years into the business, we were doing this. So, you know, at 28 to 38, within that 10 year period, I basically just, and this is, that goes back to, I was going to prove my dad wrong. And I was so mad, as I mentioned, that nothing was going to stop me from proving him wrong. That's not the way to go through life. No. Okay. I want to be clear on a bit, a bit self-destructive. Uh, it, it goes long enough. Well, it, it, it did. So it, it really hurt our relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, we are, you know, we're cool now, but you know, it became my dad and I became less of father, son and more of peers, mm -hmm. uh, colleagues, if you will, uh, competitors. And he, my dad's, my dad played, uh, both my parents were college athletes. Um, my mom played college tennis. My dad played uh, he was track and field. And so my parents, 
uh, are highly competitive sure. people. Uh, my family, I'm one of four brothers, right? Or there's four of us total. Uh, my younger, the one right below me, just sold his business for... Yeah, I've actually met him um, Tim. on yeah. uh, Mission Zero. He came on there. There you go. I want to sit down and talk to him. Dude, Tim's, uh, a, on Tim's this. a total be awesome. stud. But that's the competitive nature of my family. Like, you, you, you know, you had to win. I, right, I don't know right. else to say it. Like, right. you, we didn't... My parents weren't raising losers. Right. And, again, I don't know how that sounds out loud, but they just weren't. There was no sympathy, really. Well, there's no option for that is what you mean. There was it, no you're, option. You're, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. Right. You're going to... Like, you had to be dying to get anybody to pay attention to you. Oh, it, yeah. I remember... Uh, my dad, when we were younger, we'd be working outside, and I'd be like, man, it's just hot out here. And he's like, well, you can be sick tomorrow. There's stuff to do today. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, got exactly. it. And then my wife will tell you that that's carried over into my adult life, where now I can truly be sick. And she's like, are you really going to go to work today? I was like, I have stuff to do. Yeah. There's I'm not, no I'm not dying. No. Like maybe one or two days a year are I'll playing, fold up in bed and die. Are you injured? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe one or two days a year I'll fold up and just die in bed. Well, but, so going back to the the business, three years into it, um, you know, we made we made a ton of money the first eighteen months. I mean, I I thought I was going to be a billionaire. Yeah, I was like, I am the smartest person alive. Yeah, uh, you told know. you'd work, dude. I was like, God, I'm smart. I'm so smart. I'm this. I'm that. I'm making money hand over fist. We were printing money early on, and and then the fifteen, sixteen, seventeen downturn came. Mm. And every every single dollar, plus another three hundred thousand dollars, disappeared. Right, and I ended up working my ass off, traveling. Nothing. We didn't stop spending money. We didn't stop traveling and stop working. We kept grinding. We kept working, and I learned all that through the oh eight nine downturn at back at Sunbelt, where the private equity firm that owned us said, don't worry about this. Just keep going. Yeah. And business I, doesn't stop just because of a downturn. Well, and it's there's actually you can earn, you can make a, it can be better through a downturn, just work. So we just worked through the downturn of fifth, what is that? 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And I worked so hard to where I ended up getting double pneumonia. I was so, I, cause I never took it. I'm telling you it was, I remember days where I had more 24 hour days. Cause I, that back to the four thirty, I would be up at four thirty, travel work, dinner, and then back to bed at four in the morning, five in the morning, literally after taking clients out more of those 24-hour days in that two-year period than I had in college. Yeah. And I ended up getting sick. And by the time I went to the doctor, I'll never forget the doctor going, why are you just now coming in here? You should have been in here two months ago. I had stuff to do. And I was like, my eyes were leaking. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, my eyes were leaking. And, and their one was sealed shut. And she's like, you need to sleep. And I was like, okay, so I'll take this weekend off. She's like, no, no, no. You need yeah. to sleep for like a month. Yeah, just sleep for 30 days. And I went home and I slept for probably 10 days and just sweat. And finally I woke up and my wife's like, you've been asleep for a week. Ugh. And I was, I was that sick. And, you know, but it was like, to me, that was the commitment that I was willing to put into saving Galway. And, and then as I'm laying in bed in 2017, January of 2017, recovering from pneumonia um just truly as sick as i've ever been in my entire life um i said man i can't do that again Uh, at 17 so i was 39 i was like i i've got to come up with a better model because i don't have the energy level to do that again so i created galtway marketing which is now upright digital with a pad and a pen and paper laying in bed 
and I just wrote out the business model for what the new marketing firm was going to look like, and which ultimately became a media company, and we started it. That was in January of 17. We started it. We had hired people, built it, and hired everybody by May of 17, and that's when we started and, and you did that in response to how much you were having to, to put in to do that part of it I, too? And you did it? Yeah, I did it for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't, I needed to figure out a way to create a secondary income to where if something went down, I didn't, I wanted to balance out these ups and downs because we had made so much money, uh, 13, 14, 15, early 15, that, you know, I, quite honestly, if I'm being, you know, candid with you, I'd, I'd set my lifestyle to a different, sure. different yeah, lifestyle yeah, right. that I didn't want to give up. And I was like, well, shit, I need to keep money coming in. Yeah, something's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I, that's it. And we ended up uh, creating it to where we could have multiple income streams, different businesses. And yeah, so we just, and, and I was good at it. I laid in bed, you know, back to the point of, you know, what are you good at? What can you be good at? And I was like, what am I good at? And I was like, what do I care about? Actually, that's what I asked myself. What do I care about? And I was like, I care about people. I really do care about people. I legitimately care about people. Um, like, I care that you do well. I care that you and your family do well. I care that your business does, you know, well to where you have what you need. Like, I, I mean that. I That's not just words out of my mouth. And I thought, I feel that way about my friends. And I feel that way about um, the people that I care about. And even strangers. Like I want strangers to do well. I don't like it when people don't do well. Um, and then I thought, you know, if I feel that way about people, why don't I feel that way? Or can I feel that way about companies? And I said, you know, companies are just people. They're just, they're just businesses sure. where your friends work. And I was like, you know, I had a lot of my friends at that time that were selling businesses, but they weren't getting the maximum value for their businesses. Um, and I was like, I can go help my friends get their businesses to be worth more if I do what I'm good at and they can make more money and their families will be better off and they'll pay me for that. I was like, that's what I'll do. And that's, that's legitimately how Galway marketing was started, which again, ultimately became upright. Upright digital stands for up and to the right. Right. Like what everyone wants the graph to look like. Exactly. We are going to take your business up and to the right. That's what it mm -hmm. is. And, and then, so that's, how it started and we did a million dollars in the first 90 days and I that's awesome and then, you know that was and people were just throwing money at us and I was like all right so we have something here sure um and you know it's it's ebbed and it's flowed we've beat COVID we kind of you know all through that stuff that's an interesting story and I do want you to share that because it almost so you guys have an office uh over here yep and uh great you know podcast studio and, and all well, that's that. a, that's a great story too by the yeah. way I'll tell you that if you want definitely but one of the things that, you know, you and I had lunch one day and, and you're kind of sharing some of this stuff with me, uh, during COVID you, you opened up your offices yeah. and yeah. said, Hey everybody, man, you don't have shit going on, come here. And it turned into almost like an incubator. So let me, let me tell that story second, if you don't mind. Sure. Cause I, I think the story about how I want people to understand that you don't have to have, have everything figured out to do something. Right. Okay. So we in 2019, I guess maybe 18, doesn't matter. Early, early, early 19. We decide that actually I'm, I'm letting somebody go. I'm, I'm letting a, a guy go that was working for us at the time. And I, I liked the guy. He didn't do anything wrong. He just wasn't working out. No, no harm, no foul. Great guy. Still like him today. Um, 
and we had just moved in this new office and we were and we were waiting for a desk to come in. We had ordered some office furniture and it was uh, just late, just late to get in. And there was an empty, if you've ever been to our office, we have a long hallway and there's glass walls that look into the hallway. So they're, they're pretty cool looking offices um, for, you know, an office. And we, as I'm shaking this guy's hand, telling him I appreciate everything and, you know, good luck to you. If you need anything, please call me. He's like, man, I appreciate it to you. He looks at this empty office and he goes, you know, you got to put a podcast studio. He goes, you got to turn that into a podcast studio. And he just turns around and walks out the door and he leaves. Those are his last words. Literally, isn't that, it? That is I'm his, see ya. That is his last words. He says, you got to turn that into a podcast studio and just walks out. And I, <laughs> I just stared at the door and then I looked back at the studio and I went, I say studio, it's an office. Well, it's a studio time. now. So well, yeah, and I looked at it and I'm like, huh, I go, that's actually a great idea. I go, and I thought to myself, where the hell was that 10 minutes ago? Right, man. You might still be here like if you're telling ago. us these things. That's, that's a great idea. Right. So I go, yeah, that's a great idea. So I literally went out and I told somebody, we have a podcast studio. I didn't have anything. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have anything. Classic Josh. I, I told us like, I was like, yeah, we have a podcast studio. And Word gets out, and I'm going to save their name, but a major, major company calls me, and they said, hey, we heard you have a podcast, not podcast studio, a podcast. You know, and I was like, yeah, we have podcast studio, podcast, everything. We're about to launch everything. It's going to be great. Um, he said, well, we'd like to come over and take a look at it. Are you guys taking sponsorships? And I said, yeah, we are. I never even thought about sponsorships. <laughs> And he's like, well, come over tomorrow at 10 a.m. I said, perfect. I left. I hung up the phone. I hauled ass to Best Buy. I bought microphones, cords, computer, you know, whatever you need. This setup is better than what I had, I, honestly. You uh, watched a 10-minute YouTube video and bought everything on there. I didn't even do that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even do that. I just went and what looked like a microphone, what you would put in there. And, I, and then I connected what I could. And then I threw everything behind a chair. Nothing was connected. Nothing could turn on. But it looked like it could. And if the guy would have asked me to turn it on, I'd have been dead meat. Because <laughs> I didn't. not only was it not connected, there was no power in the room. Because it was a, it was an office. So I had everything kind of behind the deal. There weren't even enough plugs in there for everything. So, so I set this thing up. And he walks in and he looks at it. And he goes, perfect. He goes, this is exactly what we're looking for. And he, and he just takes a quick glance and he goes, let's go to your conference room. I go, perfect, because my conference room was great. Yeah, you do have a good one. Yeah, so we go back to the conference room. He spends eight seconds, a millisecond, looking at the podcast studio. And he's like, so we want to sponsor this. We'll take this, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, yeah, okay, great. And he says, okay. So we shake hands, he leaves. And I remember thinking to myself, like, we are officially sponsored on a podcast that I don't even know how to turn on yet. And it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And so then I had to haul ass and jump into to duty to get this thing turned on. And if you look at our, if you go back and look at our podcasts um, early early on, and the oil, this is the Oilfield 360, there's four. And then there's like a six-month break because I recorded four really fast just to prove to these guys that, you know, we were in business. Right, right. The, the, this is a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah. There's, look, here's four podcasts. Told you it's a real thing. But then it took me six months to actually get the thing sorted out. Because acoustically it was terrible. Everything was, you know, bouncing off the walls. I had to get everything set. So, yeah, there's like four and then a six-month break. Yeah. And then you can see it. 
So ultimately what we ended up doing was I was afraid they were going to, I ended up just, this is who I am as a person, people just bear with me on this. I said, all right, if I can do that, I can do more. Yeah. So then I lease out. If it's that easy. I can, then yeah. I just go and I lease out 2,500 square feet. I end up building probably the largest podcast studio in Houston. I don't think anybody's got a bigger one than I have. No, it's, it's nice. <laughs> Thank and, you. Uh, it's, a, it's a great podcast studio. I mean, it, it's comfortable. It's yeah. a cool setting uh, from a visual standpoint. I mean, it, it's nice. Well, and we've actually added to it since then. I don't know the last time you are there. But we've got now we have three full studios. Yeah. That original one is back to being a studio again. Okay. Uh, we've got another one that's a technical, and then we have another one that's a large, complete. I mean, it looks newsroomish at this point. That's awesome. Yeah, and then it uh, we have our own production room. So I just built it out. Just said screw it and spent a bunch of money. We built it out. Had nobody behind us. Didn't know what we were doing and built out the largest podcast studio in Houston, Texas. Um, and now we have it. <laughs> right. So, so then I'm laughing now because it's somewhat worked out, but so then we build all that stuff and this is maybe 2019, late mid to late 19, sure. right? And everything in the business is now gearing towards our, our steel business is killing it. We are, we've been three years in a row at that point, number one in the nation, making more fluid ends and everything. We're, we're killing people. Right. Um, we are, so we're number one in our business there. Our marketing firm is busy is growing, is growing. Yeah. number one in its market there. Our, we, we believe at that time our O three sixty was number one in its market. So every business that we had was number one in its market. So we just, we're riding pretty high at the end of 19 thinking, dude, yeah. wait till you see what happens next year. We're doing it right. Yeah. We're making stuff happen. So then I had a little, for the first time in my life, I had a little bit of expendable cash personally. And I buy into a business uh the largest single investment that i'd ever made ever uh january 30th 2020 january 30th audience 2020 and i decide this is it i told my i'll never get to tell my wife i was like we're gonna do this we're gonna do that she's like what do these guys do i'm like i don't know she's like well what are you gonna do for them like i don't know let me give them some money yeah I'm i'm gonna give the majority of our money to these people yeah It'll work out. And she's like, well, I was like, I don't know what they do, but I know I trust them and they're smart people. And I'll never forget my, I, this is why I love my wife. That's why I, this is back to the point of, you know, what's the difference maker, right? And I said, I said, look, it's, we could make a lot of money or we could lose all this money. And I said, you know, we don't have to do this, but here it is. What do you, what do you want to do? And I'll never forget. She doesn't bat an eye. She just looks at me. She's like, and my wife is a, pristine class individual, wonderful woman, just all, everything you want in a wife. And she looks at me and she's like, fuck it. Let's do it. Just like that. It didn't. And, and I go done, done deal, done. Didn't, didn't bat an eye. And so we buy, we buy the company January 30th. I think here it comes money time, game time. And then COVID March 11th, 2020. So six weeks after we buy this company, the world collapses. So, Everybody knows what you did on March 11th. You went home. You didn't touch. You started freaking out. Two weeks to kill the curve. You know, whatever bullshit they told us that doesn't right. turn out to be true. And um, so I spent a week at home, you know, in like I was supposed to, like we were all supposed to. I spent five days and my wife was like, go to your office. Go away. Go away. You're, yeah. you're annoying me. Just There's nobody in your office. Go to your office. Um, so I'm like, fine. 
I'll go to my office. So that next Monday, I went to the office, and nobody was there. Uh, I was very panicked, very, very panicked. Uh, all of the businesses had shut down. Uh, all of people were freaking out. Uh, there was no such thing as PPP at that point. Right. There was, uh, it was a very terrifying time. I mean, I'm sure everybody remembers this. And, and if you're a business owner, you definitely remember this period. Like nobody knew what was going to happen. And I mean, and you know, look, we don't, we're not debt ridden, but at the same time, like cash flow is important. Absolutely. So In any business. Yeah. So, I mean, a month of no, and by, we didn't stop paying our people. Oh, they're, they're mowing now. Well, I'm telling you, that's awesome. It's looking good. So <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, so I set out to, where am I at on this story? So we. So you're still paying people. Things yeah. are going great. I mean. So it, we're not, we're not cutting sound. We're not doing anything yet. We're just holding, holding pattern. I mean, it's only right. a week into it. So we're not, there's no re- reason to do this yet. Yeah, you're paying attention to it, but you're not like, eh. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, st- I'm more freaked out than others, I'm sure. Because, again, well, I'm, I own the whole the business outright at this right. point. I've got, you know, all the liabilities on me. I've got five years left on leases. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cash. I've just sure. expended a bunch of free cash to this other business. Right. I mean, like, there's, it, was a, it, it was a tight situation made tighter. Right. So um, I'm up and down the hallway. Just, and we have a, again, we have a very long hallway. And I'm just up and down, up and down, thinking alone, up and down. And I'm talking to myself, I'm thinking out loud, I'm zoned in, I'm just pensive, and, and all of a sudden I go to the very end of the hallway and I'm just looking down, and I remember thinking, each office is a person. Each office is a person. Like, that, that's, a per, that's a family in that office. Mm-hmm. And back to the point about caring about people. And I'm like, each office is a person that I need to care about, that I need to think about. And I was like, Josh, you can't, Going, going back to the whole, you know, when have you ever challenged yourself, right? Like, you cannot crawl into a hole. You cannot walk away. There's, there's no option to quit here. There, well, there's a whole story to that moment here in a minute. Um, I had been through a kind of a company issue two years prior to that. It was so devastating to me and my wife and just the family that it was, I had gone, I had gone through a uh, moment where it, nothing could have been more detrimental, really, uh, at that time where I remember telling my wife, the only way out is through. And if you don't say that to yourself as an entrepreneur, the only way out is through all the time, then you're really, then you haven't been challenged yet and you will. And when you get challenged, remember that the only way out is through. No one's coming. That's what I told myself walking up and down the hallway. No one is coming to save you. No one is going to save you. It's on you. No one is going to save you, Josh. No one. And that, and really that was a tough, realization that was a very tough realization of that I don't have a safety blanket there's I don't have a you know I'd left my family business and not only that I competed against my family yeah and, they're not going to welcome you back well I mean I'm welcome but it's not like you know I'm not I don't get to tap into that right. trust fund right right, right. That's, right. A, that's a separate fund that I'm not that ship sailed yeah exactly I don't have access to that so um, no one I remember saying no one is coming to save you so what are you going to do and then I said, and all these were out loud. I say these things out loud. No one is coming to save you. What are you going to do? And then I said out loud, I said, what are you going to do? And I said, this one could kill you, meaning killing the business. Yeah. And I said, this one could kill you. And I go, and I want to be very clear. All of this was out loud. And yeah. I said, this could kill you. What are you going to do? 
and I said, if, if this kills you, you're going to go out fighting. So be prepared to fight. And then I, then I immediately flipped from woe is me to how are we going to fight? What yeah. am I going to do? What, what does fight look like? What does fight look like? So then I started looking at all these desks and I thought about how my wife had kicked me out of the house after five days. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I bet other people are getting kicked out too. I bet other people want to get out of their house. And I have a, and I have a phenomenal home office. Oh, I, do, got, I do too. Yeah. I've got a great, it's quiet. I can close doors. I mean, it's, it's great. I, I can, I can separate, but I bet I, I know friends that don't, they're working at the kitchen table and this is, you know, zoom or whatever was still really early on. And I was like, I bet a bunch of people don't have a great office set up at home and they have babies and they want to get out. So I called everybody. I called, uh, you know, large company CEOs, truly, I won't mention their names, but, uh, you know, men and women that you know, that are big on, that are big industry leaders were in our office. I said, if you need an office, come to my office and you can use the facilities. You can use a desk any day you want. I've got 25 desks, right. uh, printers, office. We can socially distance because that was kind of a thing. Right. I said, you can behind the glass so everybody will be safe. And we, um, and that's what we did. So some days we'd have five people. Uh, some days we'd have 25 people. And every Friday, though, I would have lunch brought in. And again, going back to the point of during, during the 2015 downturn, I never stopped spending money. Yeah. Same thing with COVID. I never stopped spending money. I, I had lunch brought in. I paid for it. These weren't my customers. These were just my friends. Uh, and we had Mexican food or whatever food brought in every single Friday. Man, this guy's going to mow right Yeah, it'll, it'll actually sound less loud online, online than, it, than it does in so our ears right now. All right, good. Then I don't feel so bad. So we, um, I, I brought lunch in every Friday. So, you know, now COVID happens. We, and dude, it was amazing. We would have commercial real estate guys. We'd have medical guys. We'd have lawyers. We had the CEO of, of a major publicly traded yeah. company. There's an industry agnostic group of folks. It didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter. And, and people were meeting each other for the first time and you had only get, you had everything in there. So men, women, you know, young, old, it was, it was the most active office in all of Houston during COVID. I guarantee you. Well, without a doubt. Yeah. And we also were doing podcasts and we wouldn't let people, um, off the hook. Like we didn't let people, people would be like, well, we want to do it virtually. I'm like, no, yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, you got to do it in person. There's something about recording with someone else in person that no. is just so much better. We're not doing. I'll never do virtual. The only time I'll do a virtual is uh, if that person's like in another country. Or yeah. Something. There's I get no, it. there's I get some it. distance that you can't traverse, right? But uh, definitely in person. I bet I get this guy to move. <laughs> the class. That's a, a standard Josh Lowry move. Yeah. Hang on a minute. I'm gonna get him to move. Yeah. All right. So we're back. Uh, and Josh was unsuccessful in getting him to stop, but he got him to move. Yeah, he's on the other side. So uh, he's counting it as a win, and that's interesting. Uh, whatever he's telling there's himself. No, yeah, exactly. There's, yeah. No, there's no losses. Yeah, whatever he's telling himself, and that's cool. Uh, but at the same time, what we were talking about was, you know, you, you, were, you were bringing people in that were also sort of transient in this, mm-hmm. uh, in this new world that we'd established where we're, you, you can't go to your office. Yeah. Your, your spouse is like, eh, I've had enough of you. Uh, and, uh, and so you're, you're having these people come in and then on, you know, and, and there's multiple industry industries represented in these people. Yeah. So I go, this is one of those things where I don't like to say it out loud, 
but it's true, so I'm just going to say it out loud. I was part of me growing was realizing that I've got a lot of good friends uh, that I love growing up and that I'm still friends with, but those are not the ones that I choose to be around on a daily basis. And I was very selective with who I wanted to be around on a daily basis. And as a result, I've just been, I've been very blessed with good people to be around. And, you know, like our mutual friend, Aaron Marquez, sure, I, guys, sure. I like guys like Aaron. I like people like that, that are hardworking, that are, that grind. I, I only, I like accountability. Like I want somebody that if I'm not doing my best, they're going to be like, Josh, what are you doing? No, what's going on? Yeah, here? Why aren't you doing X, Y, or Z? Because that's how you get better. You iron sharpens iron. Like yeah. you, I need, I want that. I seek that. Um, I always tell people seek accountability, um, cause it matters. So, um, the people that came to the office were typically the grind, the grinders that I know, the workers that really didn't stop working. That, right. Right. They were working anyway. They were going to work and they needed a place to get something done. They weren't, they weren't looking at work from home as a vacation. Right. Right. There's people that, that love work from home. Yeah, because they don't have to do anything. Yeah, I was. In, I just got back from Mykonos, which, by the way, I will spend the entire next hour talking about Mykonos if you'd like to. But uh, I've uh, I've not been. Uh, but it is un. Your pictures were amazing. Believable. So, yeah, your pictures were amazing. <laughs> oh man, so you know the where? Sorry, Mykonos threw me off completely. Right. Um, the what was I saying? Literally. uh, Well, you were talking about how you've managed to kind of be selective with the people, yeah. Be selective with people, but the people that you were introducing into this office during COVID were people that were grinding in. Just grinders. Like, oh, yeah, I know what I was saying. I was in Mykonos and we were in the pool. I'm out on vacation. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. And there's this lady that's working for some bank in Philadelphia. And she's like, yeah, I'm working right now. And she says, I just sent my survey back into the bank telling them that I'm nervous to come back to the office. And she kind of laughs. She goes, yeah, I'm real nervous because I don't want to stop traveling. She goes, I love this. I get to work wherever I want. Yeah. She goes, I'm just going to hit that I'm nervous for the rest of as long as they keep sending these surveys. And I'm laughing because, you know, I'm drinking a rosé in a pool and I don't care. But I'm right. thinking to myself, like, that is my nightmare. That is my absolute nightmare. That's why I'm not going to do work from home because I know that, you know, I know that actual work's not getting done. You know, I think Elon said it best. You can fake work somewhere yeah, else. You can go pretend to work somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, anywho, there was just a lot of work getting done uh, in our office. And, and it, it was very active. I loved it. We were cool. And just, it was a, tons of energy, tons of good energy. And, and I needed it. The world was dying. We had it in our office. And I just felt like, all right, I'm going to make this. I'm going to grind this out. I'm going to do this. So, one day we're sitting there. And um, I think this is where you wanted me to go. Like how we started that other business. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got to be careful. I don't know how much of the story I'm allowed to share, actually, because we got sued over part of this. But uh, <laughs> now, seriously. Well, just a very high level, though. You, you basically, you managed to bring people together and you form these alliances that yeah. end up well, so three, fostering three huge companies, opportunities. Three companies were started. Excuse me. Five companies were started right. during that COVID summer. I invested in three of those businesses. If you don't make a T-shirt that says COVID summer on it. The COVID summer, yeah. <laughs> and it looks like you something with the, like uh, palm trees in yes, it, COVID summer. The COVID summer. If you don't make that t-shirt. You can do it. I'm going to be super disappointed. You can have that one. But yeah, well. So we had, um, we had not five made. businesses started during that summer, and I invested in three of them. Uh, they've all three been 
profitable. They're great businesses. They're actually three of my best investments that I have. Um, and what's cool about them is none of the partners knew each other before coming into our office. Um, and they just, they found each other. They had a skill set that matched or was needed or whatever. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, this guy's really good at that. That guy's good at that. You, you should, you should find another person for X, Y, or Z and you'll have a business. And we did. And, and all of a sudden we just, I looked at this and I'm like, you know, I've got a little mini incubator here. This right. is, this is what really we've built. And, and then I have the media company, Upright Digital, which I didn't view it as a media business at the time. I viewed it as a marketing firm, right. but really it's a media business. Um, that can do promotion on any number of things. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's what ended up happening is we, I, I, the negative of it was I got myself overwhelmed. I, I ended yeah. up getting involved in too many companies. I was trying to be everything to everyone. I was trying to give a hundred percent to everything, including my family, including myself, still waking up at four in the morning, four thirty in the morning. And I just, I mean, I just honestly didn't get sick. I just ran out of energy and, yeah. and it wasn't that I ran out of physical energy. I ran out of, for the first time in my life, I had run out of emotional energy and I started to just hate things. Mm. I started to just, um, not like what I was doing. Every business was making money. Uh, in fact, Galway Industries 2020 was its biggest year. 2021 was bigger. I mean, every other than the Galt, than the upright business, every company we had 2020 and 2021 has been our two biggest years ever. Wow. So we came out of that downturn and the COVID downturn, whatever you want to call it, uh, full speed and just skyrocketed to our, to our best years ever. Um, and, but I emotionally was not there. Uh, I was really not depressed, but also not happy, just like a zombie. Yeah. And I, people would come to me and they'd think, Hey, well, Josh will cheer us up and Josh. And I'm like, man, it, I just don't have it. Today's another day. T this isn't the month. Mm. This isn't the, the six months. Yeah, and that, and that's uh, interesting to hear because that's not how I know you for right. sure. And, uh, and so I would imagine other people were like, man, what's, well, no, nobody really knew you were faking it. Yeah. Nobody knew that I was really, I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say depressed down. I mean, empty, exhausted. I would, uh, I started saying, people would say, how you doing? I'm like, good enough. Good enough. Good enough. And I, I would say it as a, as a funny joke. And then I started realizing like, man, I'm not sure you should keep saying good enough. Yeah, that might be true. It, it, it became true. Yeah. Good enough. And like, what is good enough? If there's anything I've fought against my entire life, really post college, it's the good enough mentality. Like I think good enough is terrible. Yeah. Well, I, I fight good. I fight good enough in my marriage. I fight good enough in my friendships. I, good enough is awful. Good. I, I call it a taupe lifestyle. I don't think good enough is a way to go through life. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of the old uh, fat, dumb, and stupid animal yeah. house is yeah. no way to go through life. I believe that that's essentially saying good enough is good enough. Oh. And you're, at this point, you're just kind of emotionally vacant. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's where I was. And, you know, I guess this is the lesson for the entrepreneurs is, you know, there is. It, it's one of these things where you have to be careful what you tell yourself. Um, you know, there's a phrase I've heard for many years that you're you're never as good as you as they tell you you are. And you're never as bad as you think you are. Right. You've heard that before. I'm sure. Right. right? Yeah. And the other one that I actually told another guy that I used to work with and I love very much that 
he would, everything was bad. Everything's bad, but it really wasn't bad. He was telling himself it was bad. And I said, you're sitting in a, in a rose bush telling yourself you're sitting in a pile of shit. And I was like, stop doing that because you're going to eventually think you're sitting in a pile of shit and you're right. not. Right. And I did that to myself. Mm. I, I just let myself get uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically empty, whatever you want to call it, right? The, the love bank, if you will, was there was it no... Was gone. You were emotionally vacant. You were vacant. Just, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I had a sweet wife that I love. I've got sweet kids. I've got health. Everyone's healthy. Uh, the businesses were stu- still doing well. And I just was done. And I ended up having to just... Um, I don't really know what has pulled me out, but something has pulled me out. Um, I joked about Mykonos. Uh, I did just go to Mykonos for fun with my wife and I. My kids went to camp for a month. Which and so it freed you up. It did. It freed us up. I went to Cancun, or excuse me, I went to a Cabo with some buddies, golf trip and all that stuff. It was great. But like Cabo was great. I don't know if you've ever been down there. It's such a fun place. I have been to Cabo, yeah. It's awesome. But like it, like Mykonos, I was in Mykonos for four hours and I realized this is the place for me. <laughs> like it was incredible. It was beautiful. It's fun. It's unique. It's, you know, the life's it just, it's incredible. Sure. And I told my wife, like, I needed this more than I, I actually realized because like, for instance, I went to Cabo and I, I knew five people that weren't with us. Like we recognized this one family and this one of my wife's friends was there. And then this other right. group of people and then somebody's like, Hey, you're from Houston. You have a podcast. And so even when you're like wild and loose and free, you still got to be like, all right, somebody might wreck. I know, I, don't, I know that sounds stupid. I don't mean to, it, not. it's not. And I, I tell that, you know, we, my wife would say like, if I go play golf with uh, customers mm-hmm. and I'm not in sales, but I do okay with, around customers. Yeah. So I get invited. Uh, and she's like, well, you're getting to play golf. And I'm like, yeah, well, Playing golf with your buddies right. is different than playing golf with customers yeah. because you still get to have fun and it's still a great time. You still you You're still, still got to watch yourself, yes. right? And there's not there's not a total of freedom there. Well, and you know, people think that goes back to the very first thing I said about how I'm perceived. I make work look really fun. Yeah. And also because of the mar- the marketing company, I'm I've got a Instagram and you know social media well, presence. It's got to be fun. It's very fun, and I and I do fun stuff. Um, but like I said, that's, that's a portion of it. That's the one fun thing I do for the day, if you will. Sure. The rest of it is, is work. So as much fun as Cabo was, and it was so much fun, it was still like just a normal trip. Sure. It's just a thing. Mykonos, totally different story. Get over there. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody has any idea who I am. Nobody cares. Uh, you know, we're, we didn't know what to expect. We were, we didn't book our tickets. We didn't book our hotels till we landed in Greece. Which is, uh, an interesting move. We just just did it. Just didn't plan anything. Just like, forget it. We're going to go figure it out. And, uh, you know, it turned out to be an amazing thing. So while I was there, I just kind of had this release of, you know, my wife said it best. She said that it's time for fruition. And there's been a decade-long build of my, my own company. There's been a six years prior to that was building somebody else's company, which mm-hmm. I loved. And it was partly mine, but not really. Uh, and then prior to that, another six years, really, you know, maybe even since I was 10, I'm not going to go back that far of building a dream that turned out to not be my, it was somebody. And that's really, I was always building somebody else's dream. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, Galway upright digital, whatever, where I'm like, I'm going to build my dream. And, and I, I haven't really ever enjoyed the fruits of my labor. And 
Mykonos felt very much like I'm getting to enjoy it. And, you know, oil's $100 a barrel plus. Things are in a good position. I've got good employees, good partners, good this, good that. And I'm like, I can actually breathe for a minute. Sure. I don't have pneumonia. <laughs> like, I know <laughs> there's no COVID coming. And, you know, it just felt like a time where, that's probably part of the reason I said yes to this this interview. Like, it's, you know, if you want to start, if you're, this podcast is on entrepreneurship. If you want to, if you want to build a company, you know, be prepared to work for a decade. Be prepared to put your head down for a decade. Be prepared to get pneumonia. Be prepared to, you know, give up certain friendships. And my, like I said, back to my brother, my brother, Tim, that just sold his business. The dude grinded his ass off for a decade plus on Saturdays. And, you know, they've got pressures that, I mean, I remember the, the day they started, they had 150 people working for them. They had a, I, you know, I'm not going to say their numbers, but a massive rent check for the buildings they were renting. And, and like the overhead for them was an instant, not a, not a 22, like a, a bazooka to the head. Right. 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 And like, I never had that. I had bills and employees, but I, I, you know, now we've got, I've got one of our companies. It's, we had 1800 employees last year. That's a lot of employees. Well, in, in order to do what Tim's business did, they had to have that. Like there was no ramp up to it. No, it's it like go you, you push go and it's day one. You got to be able yes. to do this. Right. Uh, and not to get into what they do. Cause I do want to have him on the show, yeah. but, uh, but, but you could sort of ramp yours with demand and that type of stuff. Yeah. It's a, a little different model. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the pros and cons, right? Like I can sure. shrink during a downturn easier than they can. Right. But you know, they can also sell for generational cash. So well, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I don't, it's just, like I said, I love being, I could always, I always tell people this. If you start a business, if, if my company's failed tomorrow and I went back to, I say going back, if I, if I had to go work for somebody and again, I'm, I'm saying it wrong again. If I went to work for someone, um, I would take complete pride in that. I would, I feel, I feel like a, a success already. Like I feel, um, I loved being an employee. I loved it. I loved being a business owner. I love it. I, 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 to me, it's, I love a team. If, as long as you yeah. have a good team, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. If you can get paid well and you have a good team and you've got good, you know, you're, you're happy and your friends, you know, there's relationships you care about in your family. You come home and you can be friendly to your children and your wife. Like that's a good life. It's a good life. It is. It, it, it is. And like, believe me, there's, there's times where, you know, as a business owner, I had a dinner last night actually. And I was talking to the guy and, you know, you ever seen the, the uh, everyone's seen it, the Tom Hanks, Apollo 13. Yeah. Where he says, uh, you know, they're like, uh, you know, captain, the, they're, they're a little shallow, you know, they might bounce. And the guy says, well, is there anything we can do to help them correct? And he says, no. And he says, well, then why tell them? Yeah, don't tell them that. Don't tell them. Because if you can't, if there's nothing you can do to help them, then there's no period reason to tell them. That is a business owner's mentality. Like there's often times where I go to bed at night internally on fire. Mm -hmm. The the businesses, the the frustrations, the potential lawsuit or the this or the that or the money and the late payments or whatever. And I am sitting there at dinner asking about, you know, or hearing about Minecraft. Yeah. You know, or my daughter's new, you know, bracelet that she made. Sure, sure. And my wife telling me about her great day or what we're gonna do and 
you know, my, I talk to the employees and they're telling me about their trip to Disney and what they're going to do. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And, and I'm literally pulling back throw up into my mouth. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm real okay though. Yeah. yeah. And like everything's good. Go enjoy that. Go, yeah, oh, absolutely. you're going to buy a house. That's awesome. Great. Yeah. You know, but like if there's no, if, if I can't tell them a solution to fix that, then there's no reason for them to worry about it. Correct. And like you need to be prepared to choke down the throw up because no one else is going to. They didn't ask for it. You did. And I always tell myself that, like, you're the one that signed up for this. You're the one that signed up to wake up at 2 in the morning with your chest on fire. Right, right. Be prepared for that. Yeah, and, and you have to be. And, and said, there's a saying, and I can't remember where it came from, but I heard it years and years ago. Uh, but it said, if the problem can be solved, then there's no reason to worry about it. And if the problem cannot be solved, there's no reason <laughs> to worry about it. And it's similar to what you're saying. And there's... Not, not to say don't worry about things yeah. or don't focus on things is another way to say that, but you're right. If there's no, if there's no benefit in worrying someone else, then why? Well, so I'm a big believer in personal accountability. I, I mentioned that already and personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like I believe that the company, it, it's, it's my fault. Like it's my fault mm-hmm. if something goes right. It's my fault if something goes wrong. It's my in my marriage, if my marriage falters, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Like I, I sh- there's things I need to be tracking, um, and you know, in fault, whatever the word is, responsibility. Like, like there's too many people nowadays that it's somebody else's fault. This should have happened. Bullshit. Yeah. You know, bullshit. Take some responsibility. Like, get up earlier. Pay attention. Take right. take a minute. Have your response. Have your things done earlier, to where you can have an extra minute with your wife or with your employees. And when your employees leave you and, and you should have taken, you should have taken time with them three weeks earlier. Right. And like I, I spent time with one of my guys, he was wearing me out, wearing me out about two months ago. Uh, I wanted to fire him. And I thought to myself, why don't I just fire this guy? And I sat with him for two days basically. And, and I finally said, to him, I was like, I was like, look how much time I'm giving you. I mean, I'm not trying to be benevolent, but like, like I'm giving you time here because I want time with you, not just time to work yourself out. Like, tell me, what can I do? Like, I'm not going to put this responsibility on you. It's my responsibility to make sure that you are happy in this building. Like, I can only do, I'm going to make sure that every obstacle that I can move out of the way is moved for you to be successful. And like, I know it's, I have a small business, so that's easy to do. It's harder to do. But, but look, if you invest in the right amount of people underneath you, um, they should be doing that too. That goes back to Kathy Rutledge. Mm-hmm. Like, put yourself in that guy's perspective or that girl's perspective. Um, you know, I I just think if people cared about people more, they would they would do that more. And honestly, it I always tell people this. This is sorry, dude. I don't know if I'm all over the board here, but leadership is nothing more than time. Yeah, it, it takes time to be a leader, and the only way to create time is to do things earlier or right. later. Right. And you need to be prepared by the time you get somewhere to have time to do the things you need to do. And that's really for me been the biggest, that's why I get up early is so by 7am my emails are done. Yeah. I've worked out. Yeah. I can go to the office and notice if someone's sad and notice like a trend, there's something going on here. And, uh, if someone's doing a good job and they're not getting recognized or, you know, that does, or my wife is annoyed or my children, you know, whatever it is. Right. Right. So anyway, that's, that's a, I don't know where I am on that story, but yeah. Well, what you're discussing is, is the, the idea that you've got to 
consciously build culture in order to have your business you know be successful and as it grows to remain successful because it, to your point if you if you grow to a certain point you're not going to be able to spend that one on one time right. so you've got to have people underneath you spending that one on one time in the same way that you would you know i uh, i have two businesses now um, I'm an investor in about nine different companies and uh, I run two on a, on a daily basis mm-hmm. and I'm fairly active in two others and I'm pretty, pretty passive in the others. Um, the, the really two of them that I'm pretty active, the reason I'm, I say I'm pretty active is the guys that are guys and girls that run that company or those companies are just better than me. <laughs> yeah. They're just better than I am. And, and you know, as arrogant as I want to pretend to be and think that I am like, they say things and I'm like, shit, that's really smart. Yeah. That's smarter than I would have come up with. I, yeah. and, and I, what's really funny is when you try to put yourself in the way of them, like there's one guy that works for me and he would look at me and his personality is so much different than mine that I kept thinking like, this guy's an idiot. Why is he looking at me like this? And then all of a sudden I realized he's looking at me cause he thinks I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> He's figured me out. Yes. Yeah. He's looking at me like I'm the idiot. And I'm like, shit, I am an idiot. Like he's, his ideas are better than mine. Yeah. And I realized like when I come to his meetings, all I do is fuck them up. (laughs) And I'm like, I've got to stop coming to these meetings because I'm like, I can read the notes and I can check on, you know, strategy or whatever. But, but when he has a meeting, I legitimately am quiet. And it's not that I'm afraid. It's not that I, you know, but honestly, I have to recognize he's very good at what he does. He is a perfectionist. It's, he doesn't think I'm an idiot. He just knows that he's very good at what he does. Right. Right. And so, and, and you're always welcome, but, yeah, but Josh, just hang in here. Wait, and what's really funny. There's a girl that works for her named Sarah, Sarah Miller. And who is, I, I could not, I should, I should even air this because Sarah, you know, it's, I, I need the threat of being able to fire her, but I can't fire her. She's so great. Uh, she is one of the coolest human beings I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. And she's, I don't know, 28, 29 years old, whatever she is, but she's strong, powerful, smart, great, going to be a phenomenal leader. She, she's already a phenomenal leader, but she's just going to be a presence as she gets older. Sure. And she's not afraid of me at all, at all. And she'll, she'll be like, Josh, shut up. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, um, yes ma'am. I'm sorry. She was like, Josh, can you please leave this meeting? We're we're actually getting stuff done. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, well, thanks for having me, everybody. <laughs> and I'll talk to you all later. Yeah. yeah. And like, she's just hilarious about it. And like, when she talks, like, I know she's actually speaking for the group. So, because she kind of has that power. Sure, sure. You know, but no one else is going to say that to me. She can say it and get away with it. And I mean, anybody could say it, but she's the one that's actually going to say it. Right, so, right. I just, I recognize that, you know, smart people do smart things and I, I don't ever, my, my arrogance is, I, I told some guy one time, I said, I'm arrogant, but I don't have an ego. I think that's true. If that translates properly, like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, you're arrogant, but you're also willing to hear somebody out and listen to what they're saying oh, and, and even go that route. I will tell you this. I, I'm not stubborn. I don't have any desire. There's a Colin Cowherd, sports guy. He said one time, he says it all the time, that would you do you want to be right or do you want to get it right? Yeah. I yep. love that phrase. And That's I say a great that, phrase. I say that all the time. Do you want to get it right or do you want to be right? And so when when I honestly I think that removes pride immediately. So when someone's trying to shove something down my throat, I'm like, hey man, are you trying to be right or are you trying to get this right? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's just make sure we're trying to get to the right conclusion, not yeah. just trying to be right. 
So yeah, absolutely, and that's that's in any part of your life. So, well, man, exactly. your story is amazing, and uh, and I really really appreciate your time and your willingness to go confront the grounds crew. Yeah, sorry for some yeah. of that background noise. Well, there will be noise, but that won't. We'll figure it out. Okay. But uh, but man, I really really appreciate. And like you said, you know you you've been uh, hesitant to do these. I don't know why, because your story is amazing, uh, and and to, to have you on the podcast is is awesome. So thank you so much for being a part you. of it. And, uh, and yeah, man, it's, uh, we're going to figure this I out. I want to know if I'm the biggest download. Well, sure you do. I, I want to know. Yeah, you, fine, you are. Yeah. I, I will be. <laughs> well, man, I, I have no doubt, uh, that you guys will, uh, will, will promote it and, and all of that. So it'll certainly help. But, uh, but man, thank you so much and congrats on all of your success. Thank you, buddy. And, uh, and it's, it's getting to know you over these last few years has been a lot of fun. And, uh, and you guys always come up with unique things. Uh, and so uh, I look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you, brother. Appreciate right, it. Good man. luck to you. Yeah, thanks, bud. Cheers. Yeah, take care. The Oilfield 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Locked in Global Energy and Marine. Uncommonly independent. Locked in is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Upright Digital. Upright Digital specializes in partnering with your business to maximize marketing efficiencies. We have a deep understanding of people, their needs, motivations, behaviors, as well as the technologies that enable brands in many industries to utilize what is available in a changing digital landscape. Find us online at uprightdigital.com.